Good afternoon, passengers. This is your captain speaking. I'd like to welcome everyone aboard this podcast. We are currently cruising at an altitude of 35,000 feet and airspeed of 450 miles per hour. Weather is clear and sunny with a high of 75 degrees. The cabin crew will be coming around in about 20 minutes to offer you a light snack and beverage. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome aboard Pilot Error. I'm Tom Feeney, writer for Wang's Chop Movie Magazine. You may know me from such podcasts as The Deep Dive Microcast, Mysteries of the Deep, and Hollywood Hype. This is Pilot Error, where we look at TV shows that went belly up before their time. Slot. With this episode, we officially begin our countdown to Halloween Horror Month 2023. All through October, we will be looking at different genres of horror movies, and I pick my personal favorite obscurities just for you. But this is Pilot Error, so let's explore a couple of TV horror pilots that couldn't scare up enough viewers to make it as a series. Our first show comes from a true legend in the entertainment industry. Not because he had a string of hits to his name. In fact, there was really only one, but it was such a success that it created a franchise that's as vast as space itself. The late Gene Roddenberry, creator of the original Star Trek, tried for years to replicate that magic formula with attempts at several other series to no avail. During the 1970s, Roddenberry produced several pilots that were never picked up as series. Most were also science fiction like The Questor Tapes, Planet Earth, and Genesis 2, but we'll save those for another episode. One of those pilots, however, delved into exploring the supernatural instead of the final frontier. Produced in 1977, the hour-and-a-half pilot was called Spectre. Today's afternoon movie, Spectre. Gig Young and Robert Culp are called to London to investigate a bizarre case of demonic possession. It wasn't human. It was. And discover a cult that turns good into evil. Have you begun wondering if I'm possessed? A supernatural thriller, Spectre, today at 3 on 11 Alive. The story revolves around a wealthy and enigmatic ex-criminologist played by Robert Culp, best known for playing an overzealous FBI agent partnered with a super-powered schoolteacher in The Greatest American Hero. Here, Culp plays William Sebastian, a student of the occult, trying to explain the problem of human evil. He has been cursed on one of his prior adventures by the demon Asmodeus, leaving him in constant need of medical attention. 
Sebastian is accompanied by an old colleague, Dr. Hamilton, portrayed by veteran actor Gig Young. Hamilton is an avowed skeptic who does not believe in the supernatural. Hmm, wonder how that'll work out. Well, together, they are tasked with investigating a series of mysterious deaths linked to occult practices and black magic. As they delve deeper into the investigation, Sebastian and Dr. Hamilton uncover a malevolent and ancient secret society called Spectre. No, not the James Bond villains, although they shouldn't really sue for trademark infringement. This society is led by a charismatic and sinister figure named Mr. Sardonicus. No relation to the character in the William Castle movie, so don't even think about it. Now, Mr. Sardonicus is played by the brilliant actor John Hurt, who you may remember from the original Alien. He was the, the poor soul that got the chest burster guy, you know, yeah. So Sardonicus and his followers possess dark powers and are determined to unleash evil forces upon the world, like you do. Sebastian and Dr. Hamilton must confront their skepticism and rationality as they face increasingly supernatural occurrences and sinister encounters with Spectre members. Ultimately, the demon is defeated and the curse upon Sebastian is lifted. But it sets up Asmodeus, or Asmodeus, or whatever you want to call it, as being a recurring nemesis to the pair of supernatural sleuths. But alas, that never happened. Why? Well, there are several possibilities. One, the pilot fell into the same trap as many horror-themed shows meant for over-the-air television. It just wasn't scary. Hamstrung by broadcast standards and practices, Spectre had to say what was scary instead of showing it to viewers. That left the show focused too heavy on dialogue and exposition in favor of more visceral scares. Also at the time Spectre was aired in 1977, there had been an increased level of mainstream interest in the occult, especially Satanism. In the 70s, interest in the occult in American culture was so high that Time Magazine devoted a cover story to the topic, and a large portion of it was focused on Satanism. It was fueled by media attention on the recently established Church of Satan, as well as pop culture phenomena like the films The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby. Now, all of this should have given Spectre the boost it needed. But there was about to be a massive shift in popular entertainment. A shift that began only a few days after Spectre aired on CBS. The date was May 21st, 1977. The release and subsequent media firestorm surrounding Star Wars suddenly shifted public interest from Satan to science fiction. Not that it bothered Gene Roddenberry much. After Star Wars' monumental success brought him back to his own sci-fi roots, two years later, Star Trek The Motion Picture was released into theaters and restarted a franchise 
that is still warping into homes and theaters to this day. Oh, I hear Star Wars isn't doing so bad either. We'll be right back after this important message. Hiya, kids. It's me, your friend, Grandpa. I gotta tell you, I am starting a new club, and I want you to join. It's called the Junior Vampires of America. I mean, you'll hear scary monster stories. Now, to call, you gotta ask your parents' permission and call this phone number, 1-900-909-4300. You'll hear all about my monster friends, learn how to get a free vampire patch and a list of special vampire tricks and secrets. So call 1-900-909-4300. Learn how to scare your friends, even yourself. Join Grandpa Junior Vampires of America Club, and I will make you a junior vampire. Hey, kids, call 1-900-909-4300. That's 1-900-909-4300 to hear Grandpa's scary stories and join the junior vampires club just two dollars a first minute 45 cents each additional ask mom or dad first one nine hundred nine oh hey we're back it's hard to believe that one of the biggest pop culture phenomenons of the 21st century is nearing its 20th anniversary i am referring of course to the much loved and much maligned abc series lost lasting seven seasons and only three good ones, Lost captured the imaginations of viewers with a complex and, yes, convoluted tale of survivors of a plane crash stranded on a mysterious and dangerous tropical island. I mean, it's a great premise, right? So great that it's been done many times before. Over 50 years ago, a series also broadcast on ABC had an eerily similar premise. of American college kids isolated on an island test site in the South Pacific. What kind of world will they create? Uh, We should start a calendar. That'll be easy. It's the year one. If we don't get some rules laid down, we're going to wind up killing each other. Man, we're talking survival. Do you get me? The new people. Will their brave new world be a better one? Time has just begun. The New People premiered on September 22, 1969, and lasted for one season of 17 episodes. In the pilot, a group of college students on their way home from a tour of Southeast Asia are involved in a tragic plane crash on a remote island resulting in the survival of only a select few of the students. The lone adult among them succumbs to their injuries shortly after the crash. Stranded without communication, these surviving students find themselves isolated on the island. Now, what makes the island unique is its history as a potential site for above-ground nuclear testing, a plan that never materialized. Consequently, the island's infrastructure Buildings and supplies remained untouched and available for the survivors to utilize. 
Ultimately, this group of young survivors try to forge a new society on the island. However, this endeavor is marred by bouts of sexism and racism as the survivors grapple with the challenges of establishing order and harmony in their newfound community. Now, the pilot episode of the series was written by Twilight Zone creator Rod Serling, who is credited under the pseudonym John Phillips. It was also bizarre because this was one of the only television shows that was designed to have a 45-minute runtime instead of an hour or a half an hour. And that may have contributed to the fact that the show was not well-received by either critics or audiences, and it never really got a satisfying conclusion by the time the show ended. But hey, try, try again, right? And since this is pilot error, we have to discuss one that didn't even make it to series. And that, my friends, is a little number called, unironically, Danger Island. They were 12 survivors, stranded in splendor. An island with no phone, no stress. Thank you, God, for this one special moment. And no way out. What happened? Gotta go right now. One step into this paradise will be your last. A world premiere movie thriller. Oh, my God. Hey, what the hell is this? And now, swimsuit model Kathy Ireland's on Danger Island. The year is 1992. A bunch of people find themselves stuck on a tropical island because of some political upheaval. The island's main airport is under military control. But there's this guy named Rick running an air transport service with his trusty DC-3. They hop on the plane trying to escape the chaos, but a plot device, I mean uh, a violent storm, sends the plane crashing into the ocean. About half of the passengers make it out alive on inflatable life rafts and paddle their way to yet another tropical island. Now, there's an eclectic bunch of survivors because TV, including Laura, a swimsuit model played by the 90s favorite Sports Illustrated model, Kathy Ireland. Naturally, she remains fully clothed the entire time. Oh, by the way, I was being sarcastic. Well, duh. They stumble upon a human skull with a bullet hole and an abandoned jeep on a dirt road. Naturally, they decide to follow the road in search of help. That's when things start getting weird. Two of the guys get attacked by some underwater creature with uh, tentacles and spiky bits. Apparently, its toxins cause one of the men to go all reptilian, complete with scales and webbed hands and feet. Hmm. The next day, the still-human survivors follow the road and find an American research station that's been deserted since 1976. The place is called MK Naomi, a facility that was into all sorts of bioweapon shenanigans. Does that explain what happened to their scaly compadre? Well, it sure does. They even managed to find an antidote just in time to find their former friend show up and attack. Will the creature from the awful pilot be saved? Will the swimsuit model once again be nearly naked? Will the pilot be picked up as a series? Well, spoiler alert on that last one. No. The pilot for Danger Island eventually did air on September 20th, 1992 on NBC. It also got a release on video cassette and DVD under the even worse title, The Presence. No, not like Christmas presents. 
like a supernatural feeling or something. If you are in the mood for some early 90s era cheese, Danger Island is free to watch as of this recording on YouTube. Lucky you. Ladies and gentlemen, this podcast has just been cleared to land. As we start our descent, please make sure your seat backs and tray tables are in their full upright position. Make sure your seat belt is securely fastened and all carry-on luggage is stowed underneath the seat in front of you or in the overhead bins. We hope you had a safe and enjoyable listening experience. If you have any comments, go to the deep dive podcast at gmail.com and drop us a line. Any clips used in the podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on any existing copyrights. And thanks for flying an Automaton Studios production. <laughs>